0: This is God's word from Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plant for the right time. To bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and, and things on earth in Him. In Him we have also received an inheritance because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will. So that He, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. Good morning, church family. You did it. You made it. You're here, uh, or you're there. Uh, on the computer. But uh, if you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're not new, my name is actually still Aaron, uh, regardless. And, uh, but if you are new, you should know that I grew up in Alaska. And I was born and raised in Alaska. I learned how to drive in the snow. And so before I preach from the word of the Lord, I just have to confess I get so prideful when it's snowy and icy like this outside. People like slipping and sliding off the roads and I'm just driving around like, what's the big deal? And so I just needed to confess that, get that off my chest. I'll repent more before I take the Lord's table in just a little while. But... Uh, whenever it is icy and snowy, it's the opportunity to bust out the bison sweater. So I'm feeling festive, I'm feeling good, and uh, I am ready to ruin a Christmas carol for you this morning. You know, as a church, we love going through books of the Bible, and every once in a while we'll stop, we'll take a little topical sermon series like this, and um, uh, we, we're doing it. And by the way, it's Sound City Ruins Christmas Carols. Arthur, who designed the slides, put John and Aaron... It was the whole elder team agreed to it, okay? So I will not take 50% of the blame. I, will, I probably should take 50% of the blame because it was my idea. But the idea is this, that we listen to these Christmas carols every year and they're so, um, what's the word? You know They're so instructive. They teach us things. And sometimes we're going around and we're singing these these. These lyrics that may or may not actually line up with the truth of the Bible. So, we're trying to evaluate a few different Christmas carols to help us see the story of the birth of Jesus and the miracle of the incarnation. And so, I said this last week, but I'll just remind us we have three ground rules, okay? Uh, the ground rule number one is uh, no, no secular songs. We're not doing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph is safe, okay? You guys, you guys okay with that? That's ground rule number one. We don't need to do any of those sorts of songs. Rudolph is just a, it's just history, right? So, we have to, know that. Um, the second ground rule, and this is really important, is no theological nitpicking. We really don't want to create a prideful attitude where we say, oh, we're so much smarter than those other churches who just sing stupid songs with bad lyrics. It's not that. We really want to just think with wisdom and biblical understanding, okay? Not nitpicking, not prideful. And then third and most important is we're going to get to the Bible, okay? You heard the scripture reading from our brother Haziel the sermon today is not on the song. The sermon today is on Ephesians chapter one, okay? And the song I'm going to ruin today is Do You Hear What I Hear? Okay, now I actually feel pretty good about this one because unlike poor Pastor John who did Mary Did You Know, he had to step on that landmine. I don't know that Do You Hear What I Hear is necessarily anyone's like favorite song. Last week, Mary Did You Know, there were some people like that's their favorite. They were, there was weeping in the parking lot. <laughs> There was reconciliation that had to happen before coming to the table. It was bad. This one is like, okay, whatever. Do you hear what I hear? But, um, and if it is your favorite, please find me in the parking lot after. That sounds more threatening than I meant it to. No, uh, just come talk to me, right? Let's pray and then let's dive in here. Lord, we are so thankful for the story of the incarnation, the birth of our savior, Jesus. We're thankful for the message of the gospel that is our hope And I ask and I pray today, Lord, that for myself, would you help me uh, to teach with clarity only that which is in line with the truth of your word. Would you help each and every single one of us to have our lives be be really founded and grounded in the gospel? And Lord, I just pray, God, for people who are are sick or who are struggling. Lord, there's financial difficulties. I was talking to someone yesterday about Uh, just the awkward Thanksgiving family meals and and the awkward Christmas things coming up. Lord, we we get pulled and we get pushed in so many different directions. Our hearts are are anxious, our our bodies are weary, our minds are scrambled. And Lord, I just ask and pray that right now we could bring all of that to you and that you would meet us with a word of your grace. And so we give you this time and we ask that Jesus would be glorified. Say in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, do you hear what I hear? I want to start with a little bit of some lyric review because I will confess that every year I hear this one on the radio or I hear it playing and I go, do you hear what I hear? That's the part, I know that part. I don't know any of the other words. So here's, here's what the words are, okay? Said the night wind to the little lamb, ooh, We're artistic already here. Wind is talking to animals. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb, do you see what I see? I would say probably not because the lamb is like looking down eating grass, but okay, he's looking up now. A star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. All right. Okay, keep going. Said the little lamb, To the shepherd boy. Now the lamb is talking. So this is neat. Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king. Like, how did the shepherd get an appointment with the king? Like, something happened. Maybe it's his uncle. Do you know what I know? In your palace warm, mighty king. Now he's shaming the king. That's cool. Uh, do Do you know what I know? A child, a child shivers in the cold. Well, that's no good. Let us bring him silver and gold. Okay, this is not a theological nitpick. This is a parenting nitpick. If a child is shivering, you do not bring them precious minerals. You dress them warmly or put a blanket on them, okay? Oh, that's the worst part of the song right there. Said the king to the people everywhere, listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. That's good. Listen to what I say. The child, the child sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. Well, that's really cool. Who is this child? I want more information. All right. Here's the, here's the question. I, I, I read through a bunch of different Christmas carols and was kind of asking questions in preparation for the series. And as I was reading through this song, and, and this one kind of came across my desk and I'm looking through it, I, th- I thought this will give us a good opportunity to answer a question, Okay. And the question is this. Here's the question I was asking and this is the question I want us to answer today. Could someone know the gospel message from that song? And the answer is, no, not really. Now, the, the, the song, he's, <laughs> you're disappointed, Anson. He was like, yeah, well, here's the thing. If you already knew, the message of the gospel, this uses some of the right key words. It raises the right questions. It's, it says, you know, shepherds and a king and a child and silver and gold, but just on its own, it kind of leaves you wanting more. It kind of leaves you asking some more questions. In fact, you couldn't even really know the Christmas story, much less the bigger gospel message, just from that song. And and, and, and by the way, I just want to make a really important caveat. Not every song needs to be a theological treatise. In our worship gatherings, sometimes we sing thick songs, lots of words. We're going to sing one actually after uh, the Lord's table called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Four verses, lots of verbiage, lots of content. But sometimes we also sing really simple songs like "Hallelujah" for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Holy are you, Lord God Almighty. That's okay. Again, I'm not trying to pick on this song specifically, but I am trying to raise this question of how can we know the actual content of the gospel message. You know, last week, Pastor John did a great job of kind of walking us through this story that God is writing, this redemptive history. And so I get to come along this week and say, yes, within that story, there is some specific information that we need to know. And that's the big idea for today is that the gospel is a specific message that we must know and we must share. Okay. There's this, there's this unfortunate tendency, not just in Christmas carols, but I would even say it's more widespread in many American churches to be kind of vague or to be a little bit unclear about what the message actually is. And so today I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting to advocate for clarity. Again, I'm not trying to throw rocks at any other churches, but I'm going to say for, for our church, we want to be clear about what the gospel message is, what the gospel message isn't, what is the content? What is the substance? What is it that we actually believe happened at this Christmas and beyond that made a huge difference for all of our lives? So much so that we would get out of bed, get dressed, drive through the snow, and gather here to sing and to listen and to eat and to drink. This means something to us. What are we talking about? So the gospel, the good news, and the message of the gospel. I've got four points I want to make today. There's some bad news before we get to the good news. Good news. There's some good news up there in the heavens. There's some good news down here for us on earth. And there's a mysterious aspect to this good news. So bad news, the gospel up there, the gospel down here, and the mystery of the gospel. Four points. You ready? Let's dive in. Starting with the bad news. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him that is in Christ, in Jesus We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, some of you are looking at that verse and say, Pastor Aaron, that sounds an awful lot like good news, and you would be right, but I'm going to show you that this good news is actually filled with all sorts of bad news. So now you're like, wait a minute, are you ruining Ephesians? No, just listen, go with me on this, okay? Look at a word like, look at a word like trespass. What does the word trespass mean? It means that there is a line and it has been crossed. John showed us last week in in Genesis chapter three that when God created everything, he created it good. And he, he created the man and the woman and he placed them in the garden, in the center of Eden, in the holy of holies. And he said, you have free reign to eat of anything in this garden you want. It's all good. Just one tree, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And the woman listened to the lies of the serpent and the man was passive and abdicated his high priestly role and they ate from that tree. They stepped over that line knowing that they should not have done that. Friends, you and I would be liars and hypocrites if we tried to say that we have never knowingly and willfully stepped over a line that we ought not to step over. That the Lord has made the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He gets to say what is right and what is wrong. He gets to say yes and no to our actions and to our behaviors. And when we do not listen to the voice of the Lord and we listen to the voice of the serpent or we listen to our own inner voice, we are trespassing. We are crossing over a line. And I recognize this in myself and I probably have it stronger than many others, but it's like when you see that big red button and it says, do not push, all I want to do is push the big red button. There's something deeply flawed in me and there is in each one of us that says, but I want to, I want to cross that line. And the word forgiveness, I know that the word forgiveness is a good word, but think about the idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness means someone else is in charge of the consequences, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been watching, our family has watched a couple of different like cooking competition type of shows. There was a kid's one where they were making cookies and there was a uh, one where bartenders were making different drinks. My wife and I watched on Netflix. And, and, and if you've ever watched any of these, like the you know, Great British Bake Off or any of these types of cooking shows or any of those sorts of things, you always know that there's a point where one of the contestants, they don't do a good job. The judges criticize them. And then they always say, they always say this, well, I'm just mostly disappointed with myself because I didn't live up to my own standard for how good I know I can do. You guys, you guys know that? Both the kids' show and the show that Erin and I were watching, they always say that. And the person's like, yeah, I just, I'm just i just disappointed with myself. I didn't I didn't live up to my own standard. And then you know what happens? The judges throw them off the show because someone else is in charge whether or not they stay. And in a similar sort of way, I've had conversations with people who have said things to me like, well, you know, I just... I have my own morality and I have a standard that I try to live up to and my standard is this, be a good person and do this or that. But friends, if we are honest, we don't live up to our own standard of morality, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter because there is a God who is in charge of the standard of morality. He is the righteous judge. So to seek forgiveness means someone else is in charge of whether I stay or whether I go, so to speak. That word forgiveness is loaded with, oh my goodness, I need someone to have some mercy on me. Think about the word redemption. Or the other word that goes along with it is ransom. One of the songs we just sang, that, that mediator song, use those words interchangeably. That's very good because in the New Testament Greek, those two words are interchangeable. The idea there behind redemption is that everything has been affected Everything has been ruined. Everything has been messed up. It is not just that we crossed a line. It's not just that we are in need of forgiveness. But when we crossed that line, we opened the door and the floodgates of evil have come in and have just messed everything up. Um, you know, the snowstorm this last week or, or um, the, the windstorm a few weeks ago, you guys know about like the, uh, how many of you lost power at some point, right? And when we lost power, um, the kids kept going to the fridge because it wasn't cold enough in our house already, apparently, or whatever, and like looking for food, and, and my wife especially, like, shut the fridge, shut the fridge. Why? Because if you leave the fridge door open, it's gonna get warm and all your food is gonna go bad and it's now useless and you can't, you have to you have, to, you have, to have the, that door has to be left shut so that it doesn't all get messed up. It's, it's not the best analogy I could have come up with, but the idea is like we as human beings, like we left the fridge door open and now everything has been spoiled and everything has been ruined. It's not just that we have sinned, but we have unleashed the forces of death and sin and darkness and devastation into God's good creation. And we need someone to rescue, to redeem, to ransom it back. Think about the word, think about the word blood. Think about the word blood. If, if the solution is blood, how bad must the problem be? Again, sometimes the, the, the bad news or the problem is, well, you know, nobody's perfect and, so you have to try a little bit harder to be a good person and to do do good things. We watched a new Christmas movie uh, last week. Uh, brand new Christmas movie just released. It's got that uh, Will Ferrell and that funny but annoying guy, uh, Ryan Reynolds. And uh, man, uh, it's interesting. It's kind of a spin on the you know the uh, Dickens Christmas Carol. And I won't give away anything in the plot, but they actually really diagnose the problem really well. They diagnose the problem of the human heart. Like, I I can't be good. I don't want to be good. And then when it gets to the solution, the solution is just try a little harder. They literally sing a song called Try a Little Harder. I'm like, Like, the problem is so much more serious than that. If you could be a good person, don't you think you'd, like, want to, right? Every year, just need a little, hey, try a little harder, do a little bit better. The apostle Paul says the problem is so deadly serious it requires blood. This is not Uh, oh, you're just, you're you're a pretty good person who just needs some improvements. This is, I have some corruption deep, deep within me. If I don't get a blood transfusion, I'm gonna die. And then think about the word grace, which is the Greek word gift. And again, grace, one of those great words that we just love, the word grace is a wonderful word. But do you know what a gift means? It means you can't work your way out to pay it off. That's what religion is. Religion is, well, you've incurred a debt, so you just got to pay it back. Karma. We love to make karma jokes in our house because we don't believe in karma. Because karma is nonsense. Because karma says, well, just do good things and don't do bad things, and it all balances out in the end. No, I have unleashed so much wrong into this world. I can't pay it back. I am in need of a gift. I am in need of grace. Grace. Again, friends, I, there are churches that you could go to and you could attend many months' worth of Sundays and you'll never hear words like sin, repentance, judgment, wrath, hell. And again, I'm not trying to throw rocks at any of those other churches. One of the reasons why Christmas songs get so vague is because it can feel really awkward to talk this bluntly about the bad news. But if we avoid the bad news, we are being unfaithful to the teaching of the scripture and we are being unfaithful to the message of the gospel. Friends, the problem is really bad. You and I are thoroughly corrupted. We have willingly trespassed. We have unleashed devastation. It's deadly serious. It's not just try a little bit harder to be a better person. It is I am am waiting someone else to make a decision. My court case is out in front of the judge. My debt is in front of the, the banker. I am hoping for mercy and grace and a gift. The bad news is serious. But if we truly embrace the bad news for what the Bible says that it is, it makes the good news that much sweeter, does it not? And I want to approach the good news from two different angles. And I give credit to a, a Bible teacher and an author named Matt Chandler who first used this sort of language. Uh, I got to hear about 10 years ago, he came to Seattle and did a, a, a teaching, the gospel in the air and the gospel on the ground, or the gospel up in the heavens and the gospel here on earth. And actually it's right here in this text, uh, in verse 10, that, that God sent Jesus as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both the things in heaven and the things on earth in him. So I'm gonna talk briefly about each of these and then try to bring them together in just a second. The gospel up there is this idea that we live not just in in an earthly realm, but we live in a spiritual realm as well. We believe there is a God, We believe there are angelic, supernatural, spiritual beings who are loyal to God. And we believe there are supernatural beings who have rebelled against God and have declared that God is their enemy. How many of you know we are caught up in a spiritual battle there are things going on in heaven. Think, think the book of Daniel. Think the book of Revelation. Or think Colossians where Paul writes that, you know, um, that Jesus on the cross disarmed the powers of darkness. Or when, when Paul, just a little while later in Ephesians 6, says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual battle going on And the gospel message, yes, it has ramifications for us down here on the ground, but right here, we have to remember that there is a heavenly dimension. I love what John said last week about the child that was born to be the snake-crushing boy, that Jesus came to fight a battle that we could not win. This battle that's happening in the spiritual realm, this battle that's happening in the heavenly realm, the theological term that gets used here is Christus victor. Christ is the victor, that he is our mighty champion. He is a warring, conquering king who came to destroy Satan and the forces of darkness. And, and I know that's not like, oh, that's, what, a, what a great Christmas message, but that's part of it. We sometimes forget it. So put a pin in that, hold on to that. I'm gonna bring it back in just a minute here. Let's talk about the gospel down here on the ground, the down here news, right? The things in heaven and the things on on earth in him. In him, that's Jesus, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Let's talk about the gospel for us. Let's look at a few of these words, right? And the first word, or the first phrase I should say that we need to look at is just simply the phrase, in Him. None of this is possible without Jesus. The whole plan of salvation, the whole focal point is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, humbling Himself, taking on human flesh, being born in uh, in human likeness and form, being born in obscurity, being born in poverty, being born in Nazareth. And that in him, he lived a life where he did not trespass, where he did not sin, where he did not believe the lies of the serpent, where he lived a life that was perfect, sinless, wholly devoted to God, the kind of life that you and I were supposed to live and that every single one of us have failed to live. And because Jesus was a perfect son of God, the perfect lamb, that meant he could be the perfect sacrifice, dying on the cross in our place to pay the penalty that we owed to God and so that he might offer us grace, forgiveness, mercy, redemption, ransom, all of those words that we just looked at a moment ago in the bad news. And friends, it is not just through his death, but it is also through his resurrection because we don't serve a dead religious founder. We serve a resurrected Savior who got up out of the grave on the third day, and he is alive forevermore. And he appeared to Peter, and he appeared to the other 11 disciples, or the other 10 besides Judas, and he appeared to, uh, Paul writes, more than 500 people proving that he had the power over death. And then he ascended to the heavens where he sits right now at the right hand of God, interceding for us, ruling over the entire cosmos. And one day we're going to hear that trumpet sound and the sky will crack open and he will return and we'll be with him forever. That's a lot packed into in him, in him. It's Jesus It's the story of the incarnation and the life and the death and the resurrection. Friends, Easter proved that Christmas worked. It's all tied together. You can't separate out. So the message of Christmas is that, yes, this child was born, but he was born to die and he was born to rise and he was born to live forever and to return. And then Paul says, this is really good news for us because it means we get an inheritance. And that's his financial language, his inheritance and Sometimes people, you know, want to get in, like, what is heaven going to be like? And what's the rewards gonna be like, and what's the treasure in heaven gonna be like? Friends, I don't know, but I know it's gonna be better than what we have right now: eternal life with God, an eternal inheritance where we spend the rest of our lives, an everlasting existence in paradise with the one who ransomed us and bought us. And Paul says, you know what? It's no accident that you're getting in on this. He says, you were predestined before the foundation of the earth. You were, you were wanted and you were loved by God. You didn't sneak in the side door. You didn't, you know, accidentally find yourself here. God predestined you. He chose you. He wanted you before there even was a heavens or an earth. He set his heart of love upon you and redeemed you. And Paul says, you got to then make a declaration. He says, for those of us who Put our hope in Christ. We have, we have now put our hope in Christ. He, he's, he, that's a decision and a declaration. You, you can't remain neutral. Oh, this is this great story. I'm glad that there's a Christmas. I'm glad that, oh, I'm glad you believe those things. Are you going to decide to put all your chips in the middle of the table and say, I'm going all in on team Jesus? Are you going to declare it with your mouth? Are you going to say, yeah, I, sign me up. I'm on team Jesus. I'm going to get baptized publicly. I'm going to use my, my lips to declare what he is like. And some of you are looking at this and well, wait a minute, on the one hand, there's predestined, and that sounds very like God's the one doing it, and he's the one that's in control, but then you're also saying you have to put your hope in Christ, and that sounds like you're making a decision, and you're going to say, which one is it, pastor, and you know what I say to that? Yes. <laughs> Please do not drive a wedge in the scriptures that were given to us. Paul does not seem to think that there's a problem saying, you were predestined, now put your hope in Christ, so we can say both. Are you with me? Come on, all right. Oh, I get so sick of those fights. How does it work? I don't know. He's God. We're not. Believe what the Bible says and trust him. And then Paul says, now we get to use our lives to bring praise and glory. Praise to his glory. We get to live our lives. I love what Myung said a minute ago. Just uh, showing our dependence upon him and also showing what he's like, imaging him. And so now I get to repent of sins regularly, showing my dependence, and I get to be transformed to be more like Jesus, showing what God is like. And any of the bad that I do, I already have forgiveness. And any of the good I do, I get to give him the credit and the glory, and it's all gravy. Paul didn't say that explicitly, but he, he would if he knew what that phrase was. Such a good way to live. Now, let me, let me circle back around because I, don't want to, I want to spend a minute on this sometimes different Christians or different church groups will pit the gospel down here against the gospel up there. And I want to invite you to be a both and type of Christian, a both and type of church, both and the gospel up there and the gospel down here. And here's why it will help us be better missionaries. It will help us be better missionaries. Uh, I came to faith at a very young age and it was because my parents were led to the Lord by the midwife who caught me when I was born. You want to talk about predestination? That's uh, that's some serious God orchestrating things providentially right there. So my parents came to faith and they followed Jesus and they're of an age and of a generation where everything was very um, very individualized. Everything was, you know, your life is empty. Your life is meaningless. Your life needs needs purpose. You, it's it's very you, right? And so uh, the way that the gospel message would often be shared is something along the lines of, you know, your life is empty. Your life needs to have meaning and purpose. Jesus comes. He forgives your sins. It's very you. And there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That is absolutely true. And all that gospel on the ground stuff that I just read to you from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture— there is kind of a swing away from elements of individualism. Um, it's why in, let's say political, it's, it's actually why political discourse has become so strong in the way that it is because people are trying to find some community identity. It's why people are maybe more comfortable with with language like systematic injustice or uh, racial injustice or persecution or oppression, these kind of bigger sort of uh, up here sort of terms, right? So there's like a personal need. I feel empty, I feel burdened, I feel guilty, I need forgiveness. But how many of you know there are some really big widespread problems in the earth? How many of you know injustice is a real thing? And so, when you're talking with people and you're sharing the gospel with people, some of it is generational, some of it's maybe older versus younger generations, some of it's personal, individual, you know, kind of wiring and preferences. Both angles to approach the gospel are true. Jesus came to give your life meaning and purpose. Jesus came to forgive you. Jesus came to offer you hope. And... Jesus came to destroy the powers of darkness. And I was thinking about different Christmas songs like um, O Holy Night, the second verse. Uh, his law is love, his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name, what? All oppression shall cease. That's gospel up there stuff. Or um, what was the one we just sang? Come thou long expected de- uh, Jesus. There was a line in there that struck me while we were singing. It. Dear desire of every nation, every nation desires that Jesus would be the king. Or uh, one of my personal favorite Christmas hymns. It's very underappreciated. God rest ye merry gentlemen. I hate the line, God rest ye merry gentlemen. And I love every single line after that. But there's a line in that, that he came to save us all from Satan's power, right? It's this gospel up there stuff. So I'm belaboring this point because I'm inviting you to be a better missionary. When you're talking with people, some people are really going to resonate with this idea of, of personal forgiveness and, and, and hope and meaning and the, the, the feelings of shame and guilt being washed away, that's all good and beautiful and true. Others are really going to resonate with the fact that Jesus came to destroy the powers and the principalities that raise themselves up against him. And in Jesus' name, oppression will cease. And in Jesus' name, racism will will end. And in Jesus' name, all of these things, and when, when he returns and we receive our eternal inheritance, there will be no more oppression, and there will be no more injustice, and there will be no more racism, because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will rule over all nations with justice and with righteousness forever. Okay, I've belabored that point long enough, but I hope and pray that you understand kind of what I'm getting at. I want you to be a, a good missionary. One more point about this gospel— and it's this it's that it's mysterious. Paul writes going back a little bit to verse 9 says he has made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. You know, Paul writes about the mystery of the gospel. He writes about it in Colossians 1. He writes about it in 1 Corinthians 2. Or, or, or Pastor John quoted Peter last week about the mystery of the gospel that angels long to look into. Why would the gospel message be referred to as a mystery? And some of you are sitting here thinking, Aaron, you've just spent all this time telling us, like, all the things we should know about the gospel. I thought we, I thought we were getting the gospel straight. I thought we were getting it clear. Well, yeah, but listen. This is God. We know everything that we need to know. But how arrogant would it be for us to assume that we know everything about this mystery of the gospel? I'm convinced there's three reasons why the New Testament writers call the gospel a mystery. The first one is this. It's to get our attention. Nothing gets our attention quite like a secret. Amen? Right? When, when it's like you're, you're kind of walking past and you hear somebody having a conversation in the corner in kind of hushed tones, and you're like, well, wait a minute, now what are they talking about? I want to know, right? Or like, you know, a good mystery movie or a good mystery book, you're like, ooh, that's a, what do you call it? A page turner. You just get drawn more and more in. Or like, for those of you parents, you're like, why are my kids so quiet right now? What is, what is going on? Like, you get drawn into the mystery, right? I believe that the Lord did that. on Like the, the, the do you hear what I hear? Like, oh, lean in a little bit. What What is going on? I want to know. I want to know more about this message. I think that the Lord left certain things mysterious to get our attention. Second thing is I believe the Lord had this gospel message be a mystery so that he alone could get the glory. Because the gospel message is not something that you and I would come up with. You and I come up with religion. I did a bad thing, I'll pay it off. God came up with, I'll become a man, take on your sin and redeem you through a victorious death. I'm a bloody, violent death will actually be the defeat of the enemy. Mind blown. And he's like, yeah, because I'm God and you're not. So he gets the glory, he gets the credit, he gets the praise. And here's the third one. This might be one of my favorite ones. The apostle Paul explicitly writes in 1 Corinthians 2, that God kept elements of the gospel story a mystery to outwit the devil. He says in verse eight of 1 Corinthians two, he says, none of the rulers of this age knew this mystery of the gospel. They didn't know this mysterious wisdom because if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. (laughs) You guys, you gotta read your Bibles. It's awesome. It is so awesome. I love that verse. Paul is writing like the, the, the stupid devil thought he was gonna win by killing the son of God. Ha! You just did it. You just led to the salvation of mankind in your face, devil. I love that so much. Okay. <laughs> here's, the, here's the deal. i just say this. Even with all of the truth and the things we know about the gospel, there's always gonna be this mysterious element to it because he's God and we're finite human beings. So yes, there's bad news. We're sinful. We need to be redeemed. There's good news up there that God has defeated the, the forces of darkness and in his name all oppression will cease. And there's good news for us down here that we're forgiven and we're offered eternal life and hope and cleansing and all of those good things. And at the end of the day, there's still just this mystery about it. Oh, it's, We're gonna spend all of eternity just having our minds continually awakened, having our minds continually just dazzled with the good news of the gospel. I look forward to that, don't you. So let me close. You might be saying, okay, Aaron, we get it. You're really keen on the gospel. And I'll say, yeah, I'm belaboring this and we're spending an entire Sunday talking about it because you should know Sound City is a gospel church. Um, I had a conversation with someone this last week, a week and a half ago. They're not a part of this church. They're newer to the area. And they found out that I was a pastor. And people are always surprised when they find out I'm a pastor. And I'm starting to get like offended about it or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you're, you're weird. Okay, well. And they're like, what? And they said, what kind of church are you? And I, I've been getting that question for years. And I, 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 um, maybe it was because I knew I was going to be teaching this sermon. I, I answer, you know, we're, you know, non denominational in the Baptist tradition. We're, you know, we're kind of reformed. I just kind of answered some of those sorts of things. We're not, we're Protestant, not Catholic. And I walked away and I kind of kicked myself and said, you know what I wish I'd said? Sound City is a good news church. If you're going to join up with us, you're going to hear the gospel all the time. When we gather like this for worship, we go through a liturgy in which we look at who God is and a call to worship. We look at our fallenness and our need for grace and a confession, and then we receive an assurance of grace based on the work of Jesus Christ. Then me or one of the other pastors gets up here and we, we will do a gospel sermon. And yeah, we're going to talk about other things, parenting and marriage and money and sexuality and you know, mold and other things in Leviticus or whatever. Like, we're going to talk about other things, but we're always going to come back to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then In just a minute, one of the other pastors, Doug's gonna come up and he's gonna point you to bread and wine and he's gonna say the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ spilled for you. Every Sunday, we're gonna go through the gospel three times. Why? Because we're prone to forget it. We will call you to live an upright and moral life, but we're not a morality church. We will seek to inspire inspire you and engage you and invite you to clap your hands and to cry tears of joy and to sing loudly, but we're not an inspiration church. We want to disciple your children and and have your teenagers come to to know and to love the Lord and be multi-generational and have families, but we're, we're not a family church. We're going to call you to give gift cards for foster kids and to serve the poor and to serve the homeless. But we're we're not an activist church. You know what we are? We're a good news church. We're gospel people. And heaven help me if I don't get to try to bring us back to this core message of the gospel. Yes, it affects our hearts. Yes, it affects our wallets. Yes, it affects every, all those other things I told you but it's only in the gospel that we're going to find the strength to live out what God has called us to do. And in the busyness and even at times vagueness of Christmas, what a great time to be reminded we're a gospel church. You're good news people. Central to who we are. So I'll close with a couple quick questions here. And I invite you to discuss these questions in your groups this week, at your dinner table. What is the gospel? And what isn't the gospel? If someone just said, well, okay, you're a gospel church, you're a good news church, you're, well, what is it? What is this message? What is the content? What's the story? What's the content? How would you articulate the gospel up there? How would you share with someone who's really concerned about political stuff and and injustices and all those sorts of things? How would you share the relevance of Jesus to that? How would you share the gospel down here to someone who's struggling with guilt or shame or regret or fear or hopelessness? And then we didn't talk about this very much, but how, how would you share your testimony? Okay, great. So some baby was born 2000 years ago and he grew up and he died and all this stuff. So what? How does that? mean anything to your life. It some, it means something you put on pants and drove here in the snow when you could have stayed in bed and watched NFL football or something. Cause the U S is out and all that kind of stuff of the world cup. Sorry. Like you, you have something that has changed your life in this message that made you get up to come here to sing songs, to eat bread and wine, to listen to me, teach all of that. It means something to you. What is your testimony? What is your story? Why does the gospel matter? I've said enough. I'm gonna invite Pastor Doug to come lead us in in the breaking of bread and the the drinking of the cup. And we're gonna go through the gospel one more time, church. We ain't done yet. Will you pray with me? Lord, there are so many things vying for our attention and there are so many things that we could build our lives around. I ask and I pray that it would be more and more and more true for us each and every day that we would be a gospel church we would be gospel families, we would be gospel individuals. Lord, in all that we do, in the ways that we serve, in the, in the ways that we give and contribute or the, the, the way that we work on our own morality, Lord, I just pray that it would always keep coming back over and over again. Christ was born, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. And even now, Lord, as we come to the table, Build us up in the gospel yet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.